here's the, the good news for today is that God's love, God's love is not based on any of those things. And God's no, love is not based on anything that we can earn. It's not based on our strengths. It's not even based on the strengths that God can give us. It's undeniable and it is unconditional. So that's where we're going. And I think this, this fact that love is so conditional is like a, a piece of why we all have this desire for greatness. Because it's like this greatness, if, if we can do something really well, or a lot of things really well, then it's almost like this, this feeling of security, like I'm always going to be loved by somebody. Even if I get rejected by other people or people that are close to me, somebody will look up to me and admire me. Like, that's, I think, where the heart of competition comes from. I, I don't know how, how many of you are competitive out there. Can I get a hand or online if you want to throw in, I'm competitive? Uh, there's, I, I think some of you are lying. Uh, that you're probably real competitive. And I think it comes from this idea that we, we really want to look good. Because part of looking good, if we look good, we will gain attention. And, and if we gain attention, then we'll gain attraction and we'll be well-loved. And uh, I, I, I did this Spartan race over the weekend. There's a couple other people in the room that did it. And uh, I, I know that I went out there hoping that I would do my best. Like, and just disclaimer, I was probably in my best shape the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. And then COVID happened, you know. And so I've been just kind of maintaining. Um, but I, I've been running Spartan races this season. And I ran this one, and it was probably the hardest race here in Snow Basin, the Utah race. It's just, man, it's 14 miles almost. It's 5,000 feet elevation gain, and we get right on into it, <clears throat> and I was toast in a mile. Like, they, they just send you straight up the mountainside, and you're just like, God, what do you want me to know about the fact that I am ready to turn around and go back? If it wasn't for my pride, right, I, I'd be ready to go back home. And I just kind of felt God saying, hey, you need to release this desire for this time, like to have a really good time. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, as soon as I kind of gave that piece up, I got this second wind, and it was almost like, it was just fun to run the rest of the race. It was, I mean, fun in a whole sort of, if you like, a lot of pain sort of way. But it was still really great to enjoy the rest of that Spartan race in a whole different way. And that's one of those things where I, I love blazing fast times, right? But God, he's asking me to say, hey, you don't, you don't need that. Like, I, you're actually loved so, so much more than you could ever realize. And that, that's kind of the realization that sunk deep into my heart. It doesn't come down to how good I am at anything, standing up here and speaking, running a Spartan race, or doing anything within my job, or providing for my family, whatever we think that love comes from or the conditions that it relies on, right? But God says, hey, I, I, just, I just love you. That's all there, there is to it. And the, that's the good news. God's love, it's not based on my strength. It's not based on how well I can do a single thing. And that's a good reminder in the midst of this, this really this sermon series on spiritual gifts, right? Um, Paul places this in the middle of kind of a flow of thought, this chapter 13 that we're going to look at tonight. Chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts, and Dave talked about that last week, and he talked about that before we moved out of the other facility. And next week, he's going to be talking about chapter 14, which continues this flow of thought on spiritual gifts. 
And then you've got kind of this rock just thrown right into the middle of the stream of chapter 13. It doesn't really fit. Why does he start talking about love when he just should be continuing this flow of thought about spiritual gifts and how those gifts are actually here to serve the church? Last week, Dave talked about, you know, the apostles, right? And how that, that's this gift for starting things or prophecy, this, this ability to understand and speak the truth of God, right, that he's going to be talking about more next week. Things like healing, all these amazing gifts that God actually wants to bless his church with. He's talking about that, but he stops his discourse to give us something more. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a most excellent way. So you guys ready like to learn the most excellent way? Come on. It's Pioneer Day, right? I don't know what that means, but come on, you with me? You guys with me? Cool. So what's more excellent than healing? What's more excellent than supernatural gifts that build God's kingdom? Well, let's, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read the first eight verses together. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. How many of you just kind of got lulled to sleep right there? It's like, this is like poetry, right? This sounds so good. We read it at weddings, in fact. This is probably one of the top three most popular scriptures in the whole Bible, right? It's, it's something that we go to, something that we read, but I don't know if we're actually hearing it when we read it. Because if you look at the first three verses, Paul really drops a bombshell. He says, if you don't have love... You are nothing, you have nothing, and you gain nothing. Okay? Like, that, that's pretty serious. He's saying, it doesn't matter if you can do all the miracles. You can you could tell Mount Olympus, just jump right on over uh, into the Uintas, you know, and it just went and, get, went and did it, right? It's like, love is actually more miraculous than that miracle, which is interesting because, uh, just as an aside, like, Jesus actually says, it's love they'll actually show people who he is. So actually, if we actually get along with each other and treat each other well and love each other well, like that's more miraculous than if any of you did something like move a mountain. <laughs> like, isn't, isn't that something special? <laughs> that, that love is actually better than miracles. That's something that's really cool. That's what he's saying in verses one through three. And then he goes on to this, love is patient. Love is kind, right? And, and it's almost like somebody asked Paul, like, what is love? I, I guess you could be like, you know, what is love? Yeah, I don't know. Like, sorry. 
What, but that's not what he's, he's saying, right? Because throughout this whole book, he's been describing what they're not. You know, in, in chapter 7, it says that they are rude, the, these Corinthians. Chapter 7, verse 36, Paul says, love is not rude, right? Okay, you are not loving, is what he's trying to tell them. He says that love is not puffed up. Chapter 8, verse 1, he says that they are puffed up, these Corinthians in this church. Chapter 10 he says they're self-seeking. Love is not, seeketh not its own, I guess you could say in the King James. So this is just continuing the rebuke. He's just saying, you guys are nothing, you have nothing, and you gain nothing because you do not have love in your heart. If you were the Corinthians reading this letter, you would not have warm, fuzzy feelings right now. Like the poetry that we love and the wedding imagery that we love, it's, it's, it's none of that. It's just this, it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm in trouble right now. But there's good news in this. And I believe the good news is that God's love isn't based on our strength. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to have, have love, right? What does it mean to have love? Because I've always thought that having love meant expressing love. In fact, as I started to craft this sermon, which is funny, this is the third time like, I finally got to preach this sermon. It was going to be on like three different dates, but the moving of the, the facility kind of pushed it back. So I've, I've got to marinate on this for a while. And when I first started working on this message, I was thinking, oh, how, do we, how do we actually express love better? That was what, what I was going to preach on. Like, how can we become better at loving each other and loving the people in our circles, right? And that's not a bad thing to talk about. We should probably preach on that, right? But this is not what I believe this passage is talking about because the first point I want to get to is that expressing love actually does not equal possessing love. Expressing love and possessing love are not the same thing. Now, let me just quote uh, a saying of Jesus. He said, greater love has no one than this. He was willing to lay down his life for his friends. Okay, so we know that that's a great thing. And, and Jesus is really speaking about what he's going to do later on. He's going to lay down his life for us. But he's saying, greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Well, this passage in verse 13, or chapter 13 actually contradicts that. He says, or it seemingly contradicts it, if you read it as expressing love as the main goal of this passage. Because he says, you could give your body over to be burned. And if you don't have love, you have nothing. How can you give your body over to be burned? How can you give up your life when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down their life? Well, I think it comes down to the fact that it isn't just about expressing, expressing love. It's not a lack of expression of laying down their life when you give your body over to be burned, but Paul's thinking there's actually something more going on. There's something more to possessing love. And if we understand the context of what's going on in these people, these, these, this Corinthian church is an amazing church. It's an extremely gifted church. But it's also extremely troubled church. Like Tim Keller does some background study of the, the Corinthian church. And he, th this church is, is something I learned from him. And that they were 
uh, Corinth had been destroyed, and Julius Caesar rebuilt the city because it's on this like Panama Canal sort of thing that goes through Greece. So there's, a, there's like a shipping pathway through it, and then there's this main road that goes through it. So you've got these major pathways and arteries. So if you're going to have a city there, it's going to be a very prosperous city. So this city didn't exist for 100 years, and then Julius Caesar just creates it. And so all these people in the time of Paul have come into the city that never existed before in their lifetime, and they come to Corinth to make it. That's why they came. They came to make a name for themselves, really. And so they, they, you've got these talented people. You have entrepreneurs and you have visionaries. But then you also have these other issues happening. Just think like the American gold rush. There was, there was moral problems all over the place. There was, there was, you know, prostitution and all sorts of other issues that were happening in this city. Corinth was a place that you came to make it, not a place that you came to live. And so... The city like this was more gifted than your typical city, but it was also more troubled. And so there was more miracles, but there was also more moral lapses and, and more infighting going on in the church than the average church. And, and Paul um, is engaging with this church more than any other book, more than any other church in, in the New Testament. Paul writes to this church, probably because they have so many problems, but he sees their great potential. And one of the, the pitfalls, one of the problems that I think Paul sees is that these guys, with how gifted they are, they could really find their identity in what they do and in their gifts. What does it mean to have love? Well, I can imagine if you were the guy who could move a mountain. Like, can you imagine that? If you're just like, hey, um, you can just call me Mountain Mover. Uh, I don't, that's my name. Or the, the one that, that speaks in tongues of angels. You, you've heard of the horse whisperer? What about the angel whisperer? That's me. Right? It's, it's so easy to find who we are in what we do, right? That's an easy way to find our love, right? But what does it mean to have love? You know, for my, my entire life, I've, I've really felt like this passage talked about trying to figure out how to express love more fully. But what I'm coming to realize in my study is that it isn't about expressing love. It's all about possessing love. And it's impossible to express love if you don't possess it. In order to possess love, though, you got to know your value, right? <clears throat> you have to know your value. And you can't love somebody unless you do know your value. And you can't, you can't actually see value in another person unless you know your own value. Does that make sense? And so Paul is trying to speak into them value, that your strength is not your value. And that, that's the second point that I have today. Our strength is not equal to our value. We don't find our worth in what we do. And I know that for us, for us here in America, that's a hard thing to do, right? Because we all have titles, just like the mountain mover, right? Or the, 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 the angel whisperer. Like it's, somebody says, hey, what do you do? Like, and then you tell them what you do. Except it's really hard to tell somebody that you're a pastor. Have you, 
Have you ever thought about that? Like going on a plane and I tell somebody I'm a pastor and they've just like said a few swear words and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. Like, you're like, oh, now it just ruined the conversation. You know, (laughs) it's it's like you got to come up with fake things that I do or, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a woodworker. I like to do that. It's a hobby of mine. I don't know if you caught Dave's sermon last week, but he talked about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are actually acts of service for the body. And it's, it's easy for us to find our identity in whatever gifts we have, right? It doesn't matter how spectacular or how, how small our gifts are, but they inform our value most of the time. Our gifts inform our value, but God has never valued us based on our gifts. Actually, he, he gave us spiritual gifts, but he's never valued us based on our gifts. That's just not who our God is. And there's this person that I want to really illustrate this idea with, and this person of Peter. Um, Peter, he was, a, he was really one of the three central figures in the Gospels, right? We have Peter, James, and John. They're the, the inner circle of Jesus' ministry and his life. And Peter, when Jesus calls Peter to follow him, he says, lay down your nets, and Peter, at that moment, like, felt like he gave up his whole life. He gave up his career. How many of you have given up your career for Jesus? There's probably a few of you, but not many of us, right? And so Peter has given up a whole lot to follow Jesus. And we see that he is a devoted a disciple of Jesus. Like, there's some of his, his uh, strengths that I have here in your notes. He's a great man of faith. Matthew 14, he walks on water. You may have given up your career, but have you walked on water? <laughs> I haven't, right? Uh, he's a man of spiritual insight, right? When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you didn't get that from yourself. God actually spoke that into you. Like that's a supernatural understanding that you have right there, Peter. It says that Peter cast out demons and he did miracles. Like Peter did amazing things, but he also had some amazing downfall. Just right after Peter speaks this amazing insight that Jesus says is spiritual insight directly from God, Jesus says, hey, here soon I'm going to have to die. And Peter goes through this little, I imagine, like insecurity, like he's feeling Like, okay, I'm not sure about this, Jesus. And so he rebukes Jesus. He says, no, may it never be, Jesus. You're not going to die. In fact, I'll protect you. Like, I'm strong. We can can take care of these guys together. You don't have to worry about anything. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes Peter. says, you're acting like my enemy right now. Because if you really want to follow me, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 24. If you want to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, follow me. Like the real path of Jesus is a path of laying down your life and denying yourself. It isn't a path of just living into your strengths. It isn't just a path of finding your value in what you do and what you're good at. In fact, it might even be laying that down because Peter, what he does is he trusts in what he can offer God. 
which is something I know I've done <laughs> very many times in my own life. It's easy to look at what, what, I, what I have. I, I feel like in the very same way, I, I laid down my nets. When God called me into ministry, he, I, I really heard the voice of God say, invest in things that are eternal. And the only two things I could think of that are eternal, that last beyond this earth, are God's people and God's word. And so I dropped out of college and enrolled in Bible college, decided to go into ministry because that's what I thought God was calling me to do. Felt like I dropped my nets. But my value isn't in laying down my nets, laying down my career. My value is not in anything like that, just like Peter's value wasn't in it either. We can't pick up our worth through our strength. Because we see the bombshell that, that Paul drops in this passage because he says, if you do that, if you really believe that the miracles that you're doing and that you're seeing in your life are what give you value, you have nothing, you are nothing, and you gain nothing. Because our, our value isn't based on what we do. Our value actually comes from the immense grace that God has. The only way for us to become better lovers is for us to really understand how well we're loved. That's the only way to possess love. If you want to get love out, you have to pour love in. And that's what God's ready and willing to do with us and for us. Because spiritual gifts actually don't produce spiritual fruit. That's another, that's, that's, that's my next point. Spiritual gifts are not the same. They're not the same as spiritual fruit. Love, see love, what this passage is talking about is fruit. Spiritual gifts, they actually give us purpose. They, they allow us to serve the body. All sorts of gifts that you have, whether they're spiritual or not, they, they bless a lot of people. Today, a friend of mine asked from the church, hey, do you know anybody that can do HVAC? And I sent him my, my buddy Frank's information, and Frank went over there, and he took care of his HVAC, and he felt blessed by Frank. We, we can actually bless each other with our gifts. We can find purpose in our gifts, but spiritual fruit is not that. It's transformation. Like, God actually wants to enhance our character. And I think Peter realizes that as he continues to follow Christ, he realizes that he's weak because in Luke 22, Jesus starts talking again like he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross. And, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, I'll go with you. Like if you go to the cross and die, he, he's kind of morphed because he got rebuked already once, right? So he's like, I'll go to the cross and die with you. I'm not going to tell you you can't, but I'm going to do it. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows this day, you will deny me three times that you even know me. He's just telling Peter, hey, you might look strong on the outside. You might have all sorts of strengths and, and, and abilities, but on the inside, where it really counts, you're, you're still weak. Like there's still a lot of growth to be done. <clears throat> Peter, up to this point, had found his identity and his strengths and his gifts I mean, how many of us are doing the same exact thing? But it's an adequate source of identity because you know your strength? Your strength is always limited. You might be really good at something, but the chances are 
There's somebody better. I don't know if you're watching the Olympics right now. Do you think you're an Olympic quality in this? You know, when I was running the Spartan race this weekend, I, I ran competitively, and I'm, I may have run better than thousands of other people, but I was still only 38th <laughs> place. That's not even close to the podium. <laughs> right? So it's like there, there's always somebody better than you if you're trying to find your identity, your value, your worth in what you're good at. It's not a good way to really find who you are. Because the other thing that it does is it creates pride, turmoil, and depression when we try to find our identity and our strengths. Pride in that when I do something good, then I feel great about that turmoil. And that when I do something good and I feel great about it, I look for everybody else to look at me and say, wow, you did something amazing too. And usually people aren't doing that. I don't know why. Like when I do something great, they should all just be like looking at me and making awesome Facebook comments and should be just like always saying awesome things. And then people like criticize you sometimes. And there's all these issues that come up. And then you're like, what in the world? Like, I'm just trying to serve God. I'm trying to do good things. I'm trying to help people. Why are there so many haters in the world? You know, and, and it just creates this internal strife and it creates division and hardships. And, and it also creates depression, right? Because when other people don't see my value the same way I see my value or I think of my value, right? It just, it starts to create this feeling like maybe I don't have the same value that I think. I don't know. Have you, have you been there? Like this, this is what happens when we start trying to find who we are and what we do. It really doesn't, doesn't work. That's why Jesus says you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But something good happened to Peter. It doesn't seem good to him at the moment, but in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, he had, he had followed Jesus off the mountain after he got arrested. And then he kept getting asked, do you know Jesus? You, you were one of his disciples, right? And in Luke 22, verse 61, it says, after he denied him, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the Lord saying how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, sometimes we find ourselves here, right? When we deny God, when we actually try to live in our own strength, when we try to find our identity in anything else other than God. But this is a good thing because it's the path that we all have to walk when we follow Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of gifts that we have. It doesn't matter what kind of strengths that we have. None of that actually will give us any meaning. But this right here, this can actually transform our lives. When Peter realized that he, his strength wasn't good enough, when he realized that his promise that he made to his best friend wasn't something that he was able to keep, I'll go to the cross with you. And then he denies him three times. He realized his need for God's love, his God's grace and God's forgiveness, and he wept. But this, this was the start of Peter's transformation. This was the start of what led to the Peter that we know that actually went from denying Jesus three times to the Peter we saw stand up on top of 
a rooftop and preached to 3,000 people. And then later on, he tells the religious leaders of the day, the people that can tell him, to, that tell, tell all of his friends and family never, never to talk to him again, the people that could put him in prison and say, hey, what am I going to do? I have to preach the truth of Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me. Jesus came back and he said, I love you, even though you denied me. I love you, even though you let me down. That is the sort of love that our God has. It is in our strength where we can find love. It is in our strength that transforms us. It's God's grace that transforms us. I almost feel shameful saying this. I, I should feel shameful saying this, but for years and years of my life and years and years of my ministry, I, I didn't feel like it was an adequate place to find my identity fully in the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus actually is freely offered to all people. So that doesn't really distinguish me from anybody else. What I was really thinking is that it doesn't make me better than anybody else. And that's the point, right? It's like, it isn't supposed to make me better than anybody else. But that's what we're all striving for. Because we feel like we need to be better than everybody else if we're going to receive love. And that's not where we get it. In fact, if that's where we're trying to get it, God opposes us. It says he opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. So are you suffering from a lack of fruit? And I'm, I'm not talking about gifts, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things. Do you feel like you're lacking peace in your life, joy in your life? Does love seem to always be inadequate in your life? Well, have we really followed the path that Jesus said of anybody who wants to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, right? I had this image and I was running one morning and, and I just... I, I don't have any tattoos. I, I don't have anything against them necessarily, but uh, my wife wants me to get one. And I thought, I actually had this image of the, like my, my arm was pinned to the ground. And like, there was nothing that I could do. It was actually my right arm, my, my strong arm, right? My arm was pinned to the ground. And if that was the truth, if my arm was pinned to the ground and I could do nothing to serve God, he couldn't, he wouldn't love me any less. And so I thought, I kind of had this image of this tattoo of like nails, like the nails of the cross and, and getting one of those on my, I almost got a tattoo for this sermon, but I didn't. I, I, I weaned out. Um, that would have been cool, wouldn't it? Uh, but it isn't our strength. Like our strength adds nothing. Our miracles add Nothing. The gifts that we add, we, we give to the body, they're cool. They're, they're amazing. They help expand the kingdom. But we don't get any more love from our creator when we do them. It adds nothing because if we do them and we don't actually have God's love poured into us, we are nothing, we have nothing, and we gain nothing. Basically, Paul is saying, hey, you, you really don't understand the grace the love, the depth that Christ was willing to go to, sh to prove God's love for you. <clears throat> now, we're going to be heading into a time of communion here. And I know that there's a few of us out there that are Peters. I'm a Peter. Right? I did 10 years of ministry. 
on my own strength. From 2003 to 2013, after I, I really laid down my nets, sort of say, I was working out of those strengths. I feel like God supernaturally even gave me some strengths. It doesn't mean that I know him or I knew the, the love that he had. It took him actually revealing some major sins in my life, some major areas of weakness in my life that took me to the place that Peter went where he wept bitterly before God started to radically change me. He, he loves you so much. And, and this thing that we're about to do together, this fact that he, he actually gave up his life, we're, we're going to be taking communion, the fact that he gave up his body and his blood for us, for you, before you did a single thing for him, this is proof that love is better than miracles. This is proof that his love for us doesn't really rely on our strength at all. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were weak, while we were worthless, while we had nothing to give back, it isn't our strengths. You know, in fact, not all of us could be the most gifted person in the room, but any of us could be the godliest. Because all that Jesus really wants is he wants to walk with us. You could be serving him all the time, but are you actually going and meeting with him? We have an opportunity today. So as we take these elements, I, I just don't know where you're at. You might be a person who's been serving out of his strengths, like Peter or like myself. You might be a person that doesn't even know Jesus. You might be a person who's made peace with all these things a long time ago. What, what I hope that we can do today as we take this together, these elements, this bread and this cup, is that we can actually come together and surrender ourselves so as you take these today, I'm gonna, you, you have to kind of work a little hard on these things. Um, you have to get the top off. And by the way, I just want you to know, um, there's, there's some uh, here if, if anybody missed them, but we do this as a family. And if you've called Jesus your Lord and your Savior, please join in this with us today. You don't have to be a member of K2 to do it. But as you take these elements, know that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to actually give us his body. Greater love has no man than this. He was willing to lay down his life for his friend. Let's remember him. And then took the cup and he said, this cup, this is a new covenant in my blood. Actually, I want to do something completely new with you. You don't have to earn your way to God. I, I, I've paved the road. So as you take this, remember him. Let's surrender ourselves. Jesus, we give you our life. Because we know that it isn't in our strength, 
that we find life, but it's in our surrender. So God, I just pray you'd come alongside us today because I know I have the tendency to want to make the, the noisy gong sounds, to make attention, to try to get you to look on me with favor. But God, I, I know that that's just pagan worship. That's not truth. It's not the way you want us to live, God. You want us to be confident in your love. Lord, you want us to possess your love. Lord, you want us to find our value and our worth in your love. And you want us to serve out of that strength because when we do that, Lord, you actually empower it. Lord, you take our strength and you multiply it because you're in the middle of that. God, you bless that. Lord, you fill that with your spirit. Lord, you walk alongside us when we're living in that sort of posture. So God, come alongside us tonight. Lord, help us. Lord, even maybe identify an area of strength and that we're using that as a crutch, Lord, to rely on ourselves, to rely on maybe the somebody else around us um, instead of coming to you, God, for everything. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, for being so tender with us, even Peter following you for three years, living in his own strength and serving out of his own pride. You, you, you were so peaceful to him. God, I just pray you'd fill us. Lord, you would use us. But most of all, God, you would just let us be with you. We pray, pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.